Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Crowd cheers. Here's Siddle. He's got it. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Two Slips in the Gully. I'm joined by Aaron this evening. How are you, Aaron? I'm very well, thanks, mate. Um, it's been a great week of cricket, hasn't it? Oh, it has been a, an astonishing week of cricket. We have lots and lots to talk about. Uh, uh, so much, so much good things happening in this week. I mean, if you're an Australian fan, it's really not a great week, if we're honest. But if you're a cricket fan, it's... Um... Sometimes you have to, you have to um, just say, well... You know, it was great for the game. Cricket was the winner, and I think that's the theme that we're basically going down this this um, podcast tonight, guys. So, oh, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Cricket, cricket has been the winner. winner this week in a, in a lot of different ways. So uh, we're going to start off tonight uh, talking about uh, a very uh, memorable Test match between India and England at the beginning of their series. What a cracker that turned out to be! How good was it to be able to sit there and we've got the day night Test on and we've got the India England Test on and just, and being on KO and you're just flicking between the two and it was just amazing and every, and like both Tests, you know, twists and turns everywhere you looked. Yeah. It was just amazing. It's what Test cricket was is really all about, and it's why people like us are lifelong devotees of Test cricket because yeah. this is what Test cricket can be. This with with some of the arguments that have been going around about the viability of the game, you know, we'll, we'll talk about this more. We obviously the other topic we're going to be talking about is Australia versus the West Indies, um, and 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 due to the the nature of not only the, the West Indies side but also South Africa's side, they're about to be taking out to New Zealand and the. And the reasons behind why those sides were selected, obviously players having to be unavailable for you know T Twenty formats and stuff. The viability of Test cricket has come under a lot of scrutiny over these last couple of weeks. And what a perfect rebuttal Test cricket threw up in oh. both games. Oh, what in both games? The the England India game 
gripping, gripping cricket and, and the Australia-West Indies game even more so. Yeah. Um, you could not have asked for, you know, the old cagey line that everyone has said is on its last legs yeah. and is, you know, the, the young young the Cubs are going to come up and take the pride off them. You could not have asked for a better response from the leader of the pride being Test Cricket going, oh, you reckon we're on the way out? You reckon there's there's no call for this? Kevin Peterson has come out and said that young kids don't want to play Test Cricket anymore. Really? Is that so? No one cares about Test Cricket? Well, bang, have this. Bang, have that. Absolutely great week for Test Cricket, and we're going to dive in and have a chat about it. Well, when we're talking about the credibility of Kevin Peterson, I mean, I, I think anybody who understands the guy who he is there to create controversy and comment and whether he actually believes half the stuff he goes on about is debatable. So <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about that later. All right, we'll get into all of the action that happened right after this. Got it! ball! Beautifully bowled! Well all right, we're going to start with England versus India, which was supposed to be the final frontier for baseball, where it definitely just absolutely could not work. Um, and England have drawn first blood in what has got to be one of the more remarkable test matches played I think um, between the two sides. Yeah, look, it was an amazing game of cricket from start to finish. There was some, I mean, it's everything you really wanted in, in a game of test cricket, wasn't it? There was a... There was great bowling performances. There were great batting performances on both sides. Some of the fielding just had to be seen to be believed. Some of the catches that were taken, um, particularly in close. Um, and a guy who we actually rate pretty highly come to the fore in a big way, Ollie Pope. Oh, yeah, this is a real, like, this making is, of the man yeah. game for Ollie Pope. Oh, and, we've, and we've said that for a long time, that Ollie Pope was a guy that could play all the shots but just didn't know when to play him yeah. and get himself into trouble. And this is arguable. I'm, trying, I'm struggling to think, other than maybe the Stokes heading the innings, of a better knock by an Englishman in the last, well, 20 years. It was just amazing to, to watch the way. And, I mean, it shows the evolution, how the game's evolved as well, that we talk about um, the, the reverse sweeps and stuff like that. They're, they're just like normal shots now. And his mastery of those two shots was the big difference between him and everybody else yeah. who, who played. And, and he, people are going to throw up the Joe Root double hundred from the last tour that um, England went over. That but was an absolute road. Yeah, it was a road. It was a road. And England were in the dominant position for the whole game. They, yeah. that, that, admittedly, that double hundred set it up. That was part of it. England were never under that sort of like they were. Ollie Pope came out in the third innings and they were gone. They were gone. The game was over. Like it yeah. was just you're out here to just meekly fall over so India can roll you. Maybe chase down a, a, a pitiful target at the fourth innings and yeah. like it, you, we're not here for anything else other than that. You balls it up in the first innings. You scored less than two fifty. They put on 400. They've got a massive lead. It's just basically it's supposed to be a procession. And now. quite frankly, Ashwin and Asia are supposed to yeah. roll you over, come out, win the game. The and 250 they got in the first innings was fairly lucky too. They were quite lucky to actually get that. Without Stokes getting the runs he's got, they're done for 170. And we're probably talking at a, a totally different scenario. That's where the ebbs and flows of Test cricket are so amazing, isn't it? England gone. Stokes comes out, plays a great knock. India go in, they assert their dominance, you know, good scores all the way through, come back out, their bowlers take over. But 
here's the kicker. It only takes one person. Well, actually, it took two people because I want to give a hell of a lot of credit to Ben Folks as well. He played the exact type of innings he needed to play to support Ollie Pope to allow Pope to play his game, um, and their partnership was the turning point in that entire match. Oh, yeah, well, like, they were five for 163 at one point. That was so Still trailing, so, yeah. like... And that was it. It's now, okay, folks and the bowlers, mm-hmm. this is the point where we just roll through the rest and we've got, you know, what, like 180 runs behind, 187 no. runs behind, whatever it was. No. So you maybe get to a score of, you know, five for 163. Like, India would be shocked if they made 250. Yeah. Absolutely shocked if they made 250 from there. Um, instead, they were all out for 420. Yeah. Uh, and, and that was it. It was the back of that partnership. And, then, well, not even just that. Um Rahan Ahmed and Tom Hartley both were very good deputies in that partnership, yeah. getting 28 and 34 respectively. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then just batting with Pope and you just, you know, 196 on a pitch like that, yeah. going at a strike rate of 70. Yeah. Um, and against a, a high quality attack. And, and then just moving forward from there to talk about Tom Hartley, because. After the Indians' first innings, there was a fair the, bit of criticism on that. The English, I like honestly, that's it's. It's part of the course. They are, they are part. they are the the world champions of eating each other alive because <laughs> because at the end of that first innings, they were talking about how Basball was ridiculous and Hartley's not Test quality and what a junk selection and rah 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 and then Hartley comes out and was it seven for sixty seven for sixty two yeah. wins the game. Yeah. Um, is, and did he? Would he get three in the first? Is yeah, that two, it? I think. Ah, uh, one or oh, two. Two. He got two for one hundred and thirty-one going at five and over. So yeah. nine for the game. Um, but yeah, what a what a bounce back! You know, who would have been feeling going, getting absolutely, um, you know, pillaged from pillar to post? Yeah. Well, I mean, probably his first real taste of the of the vitriol that his own journalists will will heap on him when you when you have a bad day. I mean, <laughs> excuse me. Um, when all things are considered, it's not really that bad a debut, is it? They've dragged him out of nowhere, thrown him in, into the dust bowl of India, give him the new ball, open the bowling. Yeah, open the bowling Open as well. the bowling as well. And the Indians, as you would, go, right, we've got a rookie here. We're going to go for you, mate. And, and, and what, they did. What was impressive, yeah, was Jaiswal pulling a baseball on England in, oh, the, yeah. in the first. He's a, he's a bit of a gun, that guy. Um, you can see why he's rated so highly. Uh, he probably threw away a hundred, to be fair. Um, very Richard Pant-like sort of dismissal, but um, yeah, he's uh, he's one he's one we're going to be worrying about for quite a few years, I would imagine. Just another one off the production line. They keep producing these guys, don't they? Oh yeah, and it's the um, it's just the factory that they've made themselves with all of the 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 money that has been generated from very frugal business-making decisions, i.e. I, you know, the IPL. It's, yeah. um, they've already got the market share of um, the ICC and it's just being it's compounded by the fact now that they've got the, the big dog in what has become the hot property of, mm-hmm. of global cricket being franchise T20 yeah. competitions. Um, it's actually interesting. You have a look at, um, I think, in the area roaming around the world at the moment, playing a, a couple of games, and um, I had a look at their the India A squad, and you think to yourself, all of these guys have either played test cricket, are stars in the IPL, 
or are going to be stars in the IPL. Well, that's something that Greg Chappell identified very early on about them yeah. when it was when they when they beat us and they shouldn't have beat us because yeah. they were playing their their C strength side by the end of the tournament. Yeah. Um, these the it might have been their C strength side, but like Mohamed Siraj, who made his debut in that series, had already taken you know a hundred odd international wickets at a very respectable rate because he'd been playing a stack of India A games. Yeah. Um, Shubman Gill had already scored a massive double hundred, scored hundreds all around the world for, for India A before really kicking on and getting a... So, and that was the thing he identified, is India are actually doing a very good job of exposing these guys to yeah. international standard competitions much more so than, you know, what, yeah. how many times has Australia A or England A or New Zealand A play? Hardly. Well, we've hardly been advocating any. for it as long as I've been on the podcast, and that's a, well, we're going on a couple of years now. I think they worked out this. that Cam Green, who'd made his no. debut, had played two games. Two, two games overseas. Some of them weren't even for Australia. They were just two games overseas. So, yeah, yeah and it's just it's just the factory that it, um, India make. Uh, talking about quality Indians, what a, a fantastic showing it was from Ravi Tadeja as well, proving that even in a beaten side that he is all class. And he's out for the next test too. That's a big out for India. Oh, yeah, they have. Um, and so is uh, Kale Rahul as yeah. well. Um, when's Coley back? Is he back for the second? Well, no, he's not back for the second. He's missing the first two tests, apparently, oh, for personal wow. reasons. And whatever those personal reasons are, they must be pretty significant because I couldn't imagine that Virat be wanting to shy away from this battle. Honestly, if, they, if they're playing beach cricket in the next test, I would not be surprised. <laughs> One nil down in the series. That's three big guns out. Yes. Already missing Richard Pan as well. I can't imagine the ICC is putting anything remotely fair <laughs> for the rest of the series. Um, and look, the the Australian in me is annoyed because England won because look, we, we lost our game and we always enjoy watching the Poms lose. But honestly, it was really good to see and like Australia has done it itself, we've done it. So media everywhere has latched onto this new craze, basball, and that's all. It's, one half of the media is all about how good it is for the game, and the other half is, oh, it's not going to work in Australia. It's not going to work in India. Um, um, look, to be fair, it was a hybrid version of basball, and then that's actually what I think that basball actually needs to evolve into. Yeah. They've put the groundwork down, but there needs to be a point where you can go, right, it is just stupid because if you to think, play the way that we're playing. Yeah, we you, need to we need to go through and I think yeah. that's what we said during the ashes is yeah. when England figure out when they put a gearbox in the Basball engine, yeah. so it's not just on off, there's yeah. first, second, third, fourth, fifth, yeah. and then they figure out a way to go through those, they will run world cricket with the group of players that they've got at their disposal, that batting unit. If they if they can figure out a way, all right, we've lost, you know, three for 80. This is a pivotal point in the game. Let's settle down, go at two, two and a half, three and over. Let's just build a partnership and then get to three for 200. And then all of a sudden, in the blink of an eye, you could then be... Three for 300. Three for 300 or you know, even four for 300 at that point after maybe, you know, and then really... As soon as they figure out how to do that um, is when that, that'll unlock it. That'll be like the, the cartoon moment where you'll have the big divine light that'll shine down. Um, and, and I was impressed that that was largely what it was. It wasn't foolhardy throwing spaghetti no. at the wall and seeing what sticks. There actually was a... Rain it in. Well, and I, the captain led the way in the first innings. 
that wasn't a typical Ben Stokes innings. He fought hard. He grounded out. He Sure, he played his usual shots and he showed his usual belligerence and stuff like that. But he had to fight hard for that to get them to a decent score in the first innings. And the fact that he did that, I think, showed the guys in the dressing room, hey, well, he's prepared to fight a little bit, you know, and he's the one driving this. Does he want us to, to play a little bit more sensibly? And they started so well in in um, that first innings too. I mean, they were away to a flyer and you thought, here goes baseball again. But as soon as they started to lose some wickets, they were in trouble. Boom. What a, I still rate, I still think by the end of his career, we'll be talking about Jasper Boomerah as the greatest Indian fast bowler ever. And I know we've got Kapil Dev there in the mix. Um, Kapil Dev wasn't as fast as what Boomer is. Oh, I don't think there's any doubt that if Boomer stays healthy, that he will be go. He will be the best Indian. And mightn't fast be mightn't be the same sort of numbers because Kapil Dev had a lot of longevity. He had a very long career and played a lot of a lot of Test matches. Boomer may not achieve those same sort of oh, numbers. I would absolutely be staggered if he gets to that sort of level of longevity. But I just can't I, see what yeah, he's doing. You can see two, 250 test wickets at 23 or 24 but as his career. The same as, the same as we make with the James Anderson argument. If you're looking to, you know, over a 20-year stretch, what would you take? Or if you had to play a game, one game or one series for your life, who would you take? And Boomer, if you had to pick one Indian fast bowler yeah. to be part of a bowling attack to, to win one game, yeah. you would take Boomer over oh, Capital Death. Every time. Um, if you're, okay, if you're setting up a dynasty like you can with those play, you know, computer games where you have a cold career, yeah, yeah you probably take Capital Dev because he gives you a bit with the bat and you know he's going to play for X amount of years and do what he does. Yeah. Same with you know Dale Stane versus James Anderson. You, you know, if you're going to take it over a very long period of time, yeah, you probably take James Anderson because you know you're going to get two decades worth of, you know, of, of elite cricket out of him. But if you want to win a game tomorrow, abs- a <laughs> hundred times out of a hundred, I am taking Dale Stane. Yeah, I um, mean, I think that's the same argument with um, with Jasper Boomer. He just oozes quality. He yeah. is some of the things. I mean, as a coach, I look at him and I and I think to myself, how do you do? what you're doing because he defies physics in the way that he delivers the ball and have the ability to move the ball both in the air, off the seam, both ways. That's a hard skill, man. You know, like that's you have to be able to and you just look at his it's all gotta be wrist. It must all be done by the wrist and by the fingers because with that action, there's no way known he has any latitude to for different delivery styles and stuff like that, like slightly round arm or anything like that. He is the same all the time. It must be those risks. Yeah. Um, Moving forward, before we move on to the um, Australian West Indian series, where do we see the series going from here? We've got uh, India in the home conditions, but there are a few, like we said, there are a few guns short. Can can England capitalise and maybe win the next one? It's a five-test series, this one, isn't it? Yeah, it's five-test. Um, I really can't see India allowing that. And I say that in the most cynical, hard-bitten way that you can imagine because I really cannot see that the BCCI are going to allow England to play on a fair wicket. I'm also going, it took two incredibly, incredibly special performances 
from Ollie Pope and Tom Hartley, and I just can't see that being the aggregate for the, yeah. or the, the mean for the series. Yeah, you can't see it being the norm, In, can you? Like, India thoroughly outplayed them until the like for the first half of the game, and yeah. I just imagine that that. You know, with Ashwin in there, you know, with Jaiswal, with Rohit Sharma, like they've got they've got batsmen coming out of their ears that they can plug into the middle. They've got yeah. Washington Sundar as well. They've got some. Yeah. Um, I actually, I would be surprised if they played somebody like um, Kuda Gatta. Yeah, cool. Like they've got they've got players they can come in. They're obviously going to be weakened in the next in the next test. Um, but I just think that without that double hundred, or just shy of a double hundred, and without that seven for. Yeah. England get blown off the park, and I think that yes. with normal with and I don't mean to be disrespectful, but I don't see Ollie Pope score a double hundred in every game that they play. No, and look, there you, was look, you can imagine that he's going to have a pretty good series. Having said that, it's like we've seen the Indians do their dirty work in the past. Okay, I looked at that wicket, and there was clear. There'd clearly been more work done at both ends, close to the stumps, than there was in the centre. Yeah. Okay. Is this going to be the way that they're going to go? They're going to produce these wickets that do nothing in the centre for the seam bowlers, and then once you're four or five metres out, it's going to be a raging turner. I'm almost prepared to bet money on it that that's what's going to happen. Look, they did it in the last series England played against them. They played out something that was... Relatively batting friendly, yeah. England gave them a bloody nose, gave yeah. them a, a haymaker, you know, socked them, socked them one in the nose for the first test. That everything was a diabolical sandpit for the rest yeah. of the series, and I just think that India are going to look at them and going, we're going to still back our batting unit as oh, collectively yeah. a better batting unit than what England's got, which yeah. I think is a pr- probably a pretty fair analysis, and that their spin bowling stocks are infinitely better than what England's are, yeah. and they'll run the risk of. Getting rolled, getting rolled by an Ahmed or a Hartley again, yeah. um, knowing to, that knowing yeah. that if they give Ashwin the, a landmine, yeah. like a minefield, he yeah. will carve through. Yeah. And yeah, you know, I, I honestly I do. It would be good to see. Like I wish that we would have done it, and if we had picked the right team and not crapped the bed twice in a series, we arguably could have done it. But yeah. it would be good to see India knocked off their perch. Because oh, you, just, would... you, you almost love it more than you see England getting beat. Oh, well, look, <laughs> as a proud Australian, I absolutely would rather to see India get knocked off their perch than England lose. And the, got as, an, as an Australian cricket fan, that is probably, other than, other than Australia winning whatever it is, that would be it. It would be... Australia wins, England lose. That would be like one A and one B in our priorities. And yeah. I'm, I can hand on heart would say, even if it was England, India needs to be taken down a notch because they need to be some, taken down a couple of notches because they do. They get up to all sorts of shenanigans and they sit there and go, "Well, it's not against the rules. We can do what we like." And, and it's then, like, and "Well, it is against the rules, but yes, you can do what you like." And because, isn't it amazing how whenever we have these tests where it suits the seam bowlers, you know, like we've had a couple of tests where you know seam bowlers have run a mark over the last period of time. The first thing they do is, oh, well, don't complain about our wickets when this happens over here. See, that's the thing that annoys me. And that's I'm not, absolute I'm, rubbish. I'm not going to dive down this rabbit hole. It's going to be a very brief thing. Yeah. When when we do, so the South African test where they had, yeah. where it was a day and a half or whatever it was, yeah. groundskeeper went up and said, yeah, may have stuffed up a bit. And we went, yeah, you're stuffed up. 
that's not good enough. And everyone went, yep, not cool. Good, not good enough. Not good enough. There was no controversy because everyone was on the same page. Yep. The South Africans went, yeah, uh, mm, may have underprepared that. My bad. Uh, sorry. Like there was no, oh, there's nothing wrong with it. You just need to learn to bat. And that's what the <laughs> issue is. Yes. When usually... When there is an issue with a pitch being too seam bowler friendly in a seam bowling country, everyone will go, well, that's a bit ridiculous. The seam went all over the place. Where's the balance between bat and ball? Not good enough. And most of the time, the groundskeeper goes, yeah, sorry. Yeah. And there may be excuses around that. There may be, it was hella wet for the week leading up, which yeah. made things difficult. It may have been. In Melbourne, that is a very legitimate excuse because of the drop-in surfaces that they have down it, here as well. It may have been an error, which is what the South African curator said on his part. And so, but normally there isn't a whole blow up about is it fair, is it not? Everyone just goes, you're stuffed up and we move on. Whereas the reason why there's controversy with Indian ones is because A, to make a wicket spin, you actually need to deteriorate it. So you can't just under prepare it, you have to over prepare it. So it's not like you can accidentally make a raging turner. And the other thing is that, that is the most salient point about the whole thing right there. And then when you do go and make a raging turn, everyone goes, well, that's a bit ridiculous. It's turning square from the second ball. The Indians don't go, yeah, you're probably right. Our bad. Well, you should probably try and make it more fair for all three disciplines. They go, you can't tell us what to do. Learn to bat and play spin. And so it's... <laughs> it's just... It's and, and that's and that's what it is. Everyone's like, no one gets up in arms about the about the, the South Africa, England, Australia wickets being too seam friendly. It's because no one needs to get up in arms because when the few times that it genuinely does happen, everyone goes, oops. Yeah, right. Okay, we'll cop that one sweet and we'll do better for next time. Like, and, that's, and that's it. There's no... You can't do that. Yes, we can. No, you can't. It's like there's no controversy because everyone just collectively goes wrong except when we do it to india and we go wrong and you go no it's not how dare you how, that's racist how dare you we you fast bowlers get in and, it's, and it just turns into a big thing because and and, and that's the thing is it basically the life cycle of a pitch is seam bowler friendly batting, batting friendly, friendly spin friendly, friendly because that's the now, natural progression of a wicket. You can't go, well, let's start off being spin-friendly, batting-friendly, and then make it seam-bowler-friendly at the end because there's just no organic way to do that. Exactly. If it starts spin-bowling-friendly, it just gets worse from there. Exactly. You and can't reverse-engineer, and that's the yeah. thing that why I just it just infuriates me to no end that no one is saying that Indian wickets or subcontinent wickets can't spin, but do they need to spin immediately. Do they need like, to spin at right angles and be bouncing no higher than your shin on the first day? And, and, that's, and that, that is that's, the big that's thing. That's the thing. At, yes, they should absolutely spin a lot more than what you would get if you went to Australia, went to um, South Africa, went to New Zealand, went to England, because that's part of the challenge. But the requirements to making an international standard wicket is that there is something, even if it's just a bit of carry and, like, bounce... There needs to be something for all three disciplines. It is a requirement to get a good Rated pitch rating. Yeah. And and that's the thing that annoys me is India just flaunt that. And then in the few times that it does go wrong anywhere else, they're the first ones to go, look, 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 see, look, why are you angry? And it's like, we're not angry because we know it's wrong and we're dealing with it. Yeah, like, exactly. 
and yeah, so that's it. I'm climbing out of that. Yeah. I dug deeper than I wanted to, but we shall be back in this rabbit hole shortly in the next segment, mate. Oh, well, I don't think no, I'm not going to be winning about pitches, but I think we'll probably be talking about pitches and maybe the second or third or fourth <laughs> India England test. Yes. All right, um, we're going to finish up here with uh, India and England. I think India are probably going to go. They're going to look. They're going to go into a dirty little bag of tricks, and they're going to try and and win next two test matches. Show some type I, of parity. I think, for I think the they're going to go one. three in a draw. From me, reckon? I reckon they'll get. It'll be three one in a draw. I think there'll be one just just a road, just road because there always is. But yeah. I, I, especially considering the players they've got out, yeah, they're going to use the pitch to even those odds. And yeah. as much as I'm incredibly proud of seeing Ollie Pope in this coming of age, and I, I cannot stress what a fantastic knock that is for yeah. English cricket. That is. Honestly, I think that is outside of Ben Stokes winning Headingley in 2019. That is probably the best knock since the year 2000 yeah, for an English batsman. I'd probably go back even further than that. Probably, I would rate it on a par with um, David Gower's 150 that he made out here. Um, and won them a test match. We're going back 78, 79. Yeah, I, was, I reckon it, it hit, in, in the entirety of English cricket, yeah. I think that's got to be a top five innings by yeah. an English batsman. Yeah. Um, just, and I, I kind of, I've always had a soft spot for Ollie Pope because I look at the guy and you look at him bat and you go, wow. There's so much to like about look, him. Look at this guy go. But he just had no clue. And we exposed him out here a few times. And just a little side, side um, thing before we go. Ollie Pope's previous seven innings is in India before that one the other day. He hadn't scored more than 30 in an innings. So it's it, it, even more credit to him. Yeah, and well done. I just I just can't see, and if it happens, absolutely phenomenal. Um, it's one of the very few times I think that I am actually barracking for England, even though I don't really yeah. want to because I'm an Aussie. But I, I, I do hope that they can capitalise on this and that someone can get in there. And, and look, credit to India. I mean... They've all the, sh- the the tricks and shenanigans they get up to. They just win cricket games at home, mm. and that's you know. And at the end of the day, they've got to play on the same wickets. You know, there is no reason why teams can't exploit the same things that their cricketers are exploiting. And the thing is, their cricketers are so good they exploit the wicket way better than, than anyone else. And it doesn't matter which way you cut it; the wicket is the same for everyone. And India are just masters of executing in those conditions. So I'm not taking anything away from them, but what you can just see from here, they're just going to delve straight into that because they know now that there's no Kohli, now there's no Rahul, now there's no Jadeja on top of no Rishabh Pant. They're down 1-0 in the series. Yeah, I can't see there being another 196 being scored by one batsman. I would be thinking that 196 would be, be very close for a good team score. Yeah. Um, and, you know, in a backfire, they might be trepidatious. I mean, it backfired in was it the third test against us where um, Kuhneman took six for stuff all and yeah. we ended up getting... But, yeah, I just... I, I think they'll use the pitch even more so to even those odds because they don't want to lose at home. They're proud of their record. They have every right to be. And um, there's money involved. Oh, and absolutely. So I, I do... I would love to see England... I'd love to see England go and just put the foot on the throat and grab one more while they've... You know, they're a bit injury and have India looking at needing to win... Win three in a row. I suppose they only need to, to to get two all. But I'd love to see England go up two nil and really then start to boss the series yeah. and 
put some pressure on. Um, Wouldn't it be interesting to see the reactions from the Indians then? If they did happen, like even if they go and do a dirty in this one and it backfires on them, Hartley or Raham or somebody bowls them out really cheap and they lose again 2-0, what's going to be the ramifications of that? Yeah, but... Uh, Full credit to Stokes, full credit to, to everyone involved in England, and full credit to the Indian side. It was a, like I said, it was a game, it was a test match that test match cricket needed, and it delivered in spades. It was it toed and froed, and that's something that doesn't happen a lot over in India. If India really gained the upper hand, they don't often give it away. So, um, you know, fantastic work. Um, and right after this, we're going to go and talk about what I think could quite possibly be if the ICC leverage it properly one of the most important test matches of this decade. So the Frank Worrell Trophy has ended in a one-all draw in one of the most astonishing scenes in test match cricket that I've seen in a long time. And I can genuinely say, which may shock a lot of people, I'm not even a little bit upset. Not even a little bit. No, didn't bat an eyelid about it. I was at work for most of it when when things were going on. And there's obviously people there who know I'm a bit of a cricket tragic. And go, oh, you're checking the score. And I go, yeah, I'm checking the score. And you don't seem too fast about it. So, and it's the best thing that could happen. It is the best thing that happened. It genuinely, genuinely is that, as I said, this has been such an important week for Test cricket given yeah. the, the, the constrictions it was under. This is genuinely the best thing that could have happened. I mean, yeah. from an Australian point of view, okay, yeah, we, we retain the trophy, so you know we're not really out of out of sorts too much. But everyone had written this West Indies team off from the moment it was announced, yeah. and they lost in the first test, but they fought hard. Yeah. They were completely outclassed with the bat, which is what undid them. But they went toe to toe with the ball, with. Well, let's not beat around the bush. It's the best bowling attack in the world. No. There are th- there are teams that come close. India come close. South Africa at the peak of their powers come close. But considering the longevity, the what they've achieved over the you know they're all over what two hundred and fifty wickets now. It's the best bowling attack in the world, not by a huge margin, but you, but by enough, by enough, you would say that yeah, you. In general, general terms, the Australian bowling attack is probably the best bowling attack in the world. And this West Indies attack with, what, 40 debutants and no experience at all and no runs behind them to go and defend went toe-to-toe with the best bowling attack of the world, took on the Australians in their home conditions and beat them and, like, did a really good job in the, in the first game as well. Mm-hmm. Um, absolutely, like... Test cricket could not have like has been pleading for a saviour, and and West Indies in general, and Shemar Joseph has answered the call. He's quite a character, isn't he? Oh, he is outside of Stephen Smith, who I think is just I've just got a man crush on. I love Stephen Smith, but he's just he's my dude. But Shemar Joseph is like one B favorite player in the world right now. What like? What an absolute warrior. Mm-hmm. Comes out, first game, bowling 145, nipping it everywhere, just knocking over the Aussies for fun. Oh, Mitchell Stark's just going to go and break your foot. That's all right. Watch him limp onto the field in the next day after everyone's like, he's not going to be back, not going to be back. I'll just take a cheeky seven for and win the game, yeah. defending 200. Thank yeah. you very much. Like, um, And then comes out and says, and this is the thing that, ICC needs to listen to, and it needs to listen to it so hard. If the West Indies come calling, I will answer. 
I don't care how much money is thrown at me, I will play for the West Indies. Now, admittedly, it is really easy to say when you're caught up in the emotion of it all right now and if you're staring at the face of a you know, a massive multi-million dollar IPL contract, that could change. But right here and now, we've got a guy that a year ago was a security guard on some island that is like, what, two hours charter boat to get to. There's like 400 people living on it. And then he's here now beating the best team in the world in their backyard and coming and saying, you know, the whole thing about these poorer nations is there's not enough money to go around. They're all going to end up playing franchise T20 cricket. Here is a kid saying... I want to play test cricket, stuff the money, I want to play test cricket, and that flies in the faces of all the morons like Kevin Peterson who have come out and said no one wants to play test cricket anymore, it's time to give it away and acknowledge cricket for what it is. Here is a kid flying the flag saying, nah, I want to be a test cricketer. And the ICC needs to latch onto this, and it's a real line in the sand moment for test cricket, I feel. If the ICC really cares about test cricket, they can go, there is enough passion here. Pakistan gave Australia the wobbles in the first series, like the first series of the summer. The West Indies came out and beat us in one. You know, there has been some gripping cricket being played. There is obviously passion and desire for this format. And and test cricket is alive from the point of view of the standard of the game. Okay? You can talk about crowds and all that sort of stuff. We're We're still... producing guys who are the very best at their craft playing test cricket. And quite frankly, I think most people who, most great players would say oh, pet test cricket is a pinnacle. The, where we've lost our way, and the point you're making is so valid, we've lost a generation who went and played T20. Okay, we need to rediscover that. We need to get that next generation rediscovering the passion because hopefully they're saying that it's not all that. I don't think we. Um, your your point is accurate, but I think your choice of words is wrong. I don't think we lost a generation. I think we threw it away. Possibly. How many how many kids that have grown up in that generation where we're playing like in the mid twenty tens, obsessed with T twenty cricket, really wanted to be super passionate about. Test cricket, yeah. but these nations saw the dollars for T twenties, and just and went there, yeah. um, and you know didn't nudge them in that direction, no. and, went, and went the whole hog too. There was no like it was hasn't been a gradual thing. Do you know what I mean? Like some some countries have just jumped in boots and all, and aren't producing really good first class cricketers anymore because their first class systems have been compromised by T twenties. And, and and look. Let's not beat around the bush. Some it is a lot of it is a financial reality. Is the first class cricket is just not economically viable, and it's they're not wealthy enough that they can have a a financial dud. Like the Sheffield Shield is a financial dud. Doesn't make yeah. any money. It is piggybacked on from international cricket because Australia gets to play lots of it, yeah. and the big beer, the big bash. The same with, um, like, I, I don't know, in, India's telecast figures, but I can't imagine that the Ranji sure. trophy makes lots of money. It's basically making all of its money off IPL yeah. and international fixtures. So I imagine there's still plenty of support more than you would get. Yeah. But in places like Pakistan, like the West Indies, like Sri Lanka, they don't have enough financial income to... Run first class to cricket. run first class cricket at a loss yeah. in keeping up an excellent standard. Yeah. They've got enough money to basically keep their franchise competitions afloat, 
and whatever's left over is whatever's left over. So I get that. I get it's not just as simple as all you got to do is just focus on it more. But the, I just I cannot quantify. Like it nearly brought a tear to my eye watching that interview where he has said, you know, I love my captain. Um, first time I met him was on this tour. He's been really great for me. I love playing for the West Indies. I don't care how much money's been thrown at me if the West Indies call, I'm playing for them. And like this guy is going to get so much money chucked at him from everywhere after after that performance, and yeah. him to come out and and you know if it changes, it changes. Like who's going to turn down money that could change his entire life? But if he sticks to those guns and does a Mitchell Stark yeah. and plays for his country, like hats off the to him. The rewards will come anyway. I think the rewards will come anyway because I mean you look at a guy like Jason Holder who very much was down that path earlier in his career and he sacrificed playing um, T20s and stuff like that in order to be the test captain and everything like that, his rewards are coming now because he's had his time, he's gone, right, well, I've served, I've done what, all I can do, I will still play for you if I can, but now it's time for me to go and earn some money. If they all had that idea, I'm going to make my bones at the West Indies and become a great international cricketer, and then the payday's at the end, at the end of it all, mate. I'm going to spawn around the world for five or six years playing T20 cricket, earning great money. And that's the thing that I just wish, and I know it's not as simple as that because you actually have to cultivate the talent. It's not as simple as just flicking a switch, but if you become a really entertaining product, like the West Indies are out here all the time making heaps of money. Like they... There was a big criticism of world cricket from the West Indies going cricket boards around the world filled their pockets off the sweat of West Indian players because they were the big ticket. Yeah. And if the West Indies become, you know, the number four or number three team, if they can get up into that, that group again, India will be chomping. The West Indies out here, everyone wants to watch the West Indies. Australia, we wanted to get the, obviously we've had them out a lot, but we'll, we'll be going, we'll be getting them more sort of thing. And, and then it becomes then your international board then starts to make more money because you know India will pay big ticket dollars, England will pay big ticket dollars to get and the teams and, out and there. And, and then the, you get parts of, um, I'm sure they get parts of the broadcast rights and all that sort of stuff too. We can start getting these guys being good enough to get into these big ticket series, then the money will come. But I personally think the finances of world cricket need a massive overhaul. Oh, absolutely. And this is where I'm talking about the ICC needs to recognise that this is a line in the sand moment. Yeah, absolutely. We've shown here that there are two young upstart teams because that Pakistan side wasn't incredibly experienced either. No. This West Indies side certainly isn't. No, and you talk about And they've West come Indian... out here and they've wanted to win. They're not just no. here because they have to be. They've wanted to take it to it. They've got passion to play and be good at test cricket. No. Find a way. Find a way to find some money to make test whatever that might be. It might not be you're not going to fix it all at the next meeting, but maybe that is a standardised ICC payment. Yes, that you know, and that's the start of it. Going, it doesn't matter if you're Pat Cummins or if you're Shamar Joseph. You're going to get the same amount of money from us for playing test cricket. Yeah. yeah. Pat Cummins is going to get paid more by Australia because they're rich in the West Indies. But at least, at the very least, when they rock up, the government, the governing body says that you're a test cricketer and you're a test cricketer, that's your money. Yeah. And then you get top-ups from there. Like, they're just, they're just, this is the moment, if there's really any desire... For the ICC. For the ICC to take test cricket seriously and prolong it outside of grudge matches between England, Australia and India, and then just, you know, we'll, we'll sprinkle in some other sides just to fill in the years where they can't come out. 
if they actually want it to be a viable, like the World Test Championship to be a viable competition and to grow and maybe see teams move up and down those rankings, they haven't got a better, they have not had a better kick in the ass than this week to say that Test cricket is still something that people deeply care about and is entertaining. And will go and watch. That's another thing. I mean, that's one of the big criticisms from other nations is that Test cricket has got to a stage where nobody was going to watch it. Well, it's like all international global sports these days. Your majority of your audience is sitting in their lounge room watching it. We're usually on pay TV. That's where the money is. You know, gate receipts and stuff like that for, for test matches are an insignificant portion of the funds that are generated from a test match. You've got your broadcast rights, your TV rights, your merchandising deals, blah, 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 blah. There's a big pot of money sitting there in each test match, each and every single one. You know, some of the metrics they use to say, oh, well, this, is, this isn't going well or that's not going well, I think are flawed because, I mean, you look at India, they didn't have full houses in that, in that stadium the other day. There was like 20,000 there in a 100,000 seat stadium. But I guarantee you they still made money. Yeah, absolutely they would. You know what I mean? And it's, we need to have a more equitable sharing of the pie and we need to be incentivising countries financially by us saying, here, you're going to play a free test series against this person, against oh, this team. Abolish and, two test series. Yeah, oh, my God. Yeah, that, that's not, we won't go down that rabbit hole. But, yeah. Here's this pool of money. We're providing you the pool of money. And out of that pool of money, we're paying for the grounds, we're paying for the, the, the players, we're paying for accommodation, we're paying for all of this to bring these people here. And then the ground itself and the rights, the broadcast rights can be shared between whoever. But at us as the ICC, we are going to say, here's how much money we have for you to play this game. It just needs to be a point where the ICC and honestly, England, India, and Australia need to wake up and realise that this is going to be the case. Is it's going to cost them money yes. to protect the game? Yes. And yeah, the, the ICC needs money to make sure that there are other countries for you to play. Where are they getting the money from? Generated by the countries. You three make up the most of it. And see, and this is the thing, and it's not just India, but India are the biggest perpetrators of it because they have the most resources to do the most good. India, as in the BCCI, don't actually care about cricket. They care about India. Yes. And that's it. And that's not to say that England and Australia are any better because they're not. We're just not as blatant about it, really. But India couldn't care less about the health of the game so long as the right people are getting the right amount of money. Yeah. And, and if that means that it, they've got to have the right people are getting the wrong amount of money for the health of the game to increase, then India don't care because India are self-sustaining. Yes. If, if world cricket ended tomorrow, they would just make all of their money playing IPL. IPL. They, they may even decide to start there. If there was really that big a call for test cricket, they might even do franchise first-class games to get, you know, they'll do a draft to get the best Australian, best South Africa, and then do like an IPL test edition. Like they, if they really wanted to get, they just they just wait for the ICC to fall over, and then rather than having nations, all of the players just sign a test IPL deal and go into test IPL franchise. They, they do that. They, they don't actually care about protecting the integrity of 
international cricket. They care about making money. And that is not to say that, you know, as I said, England and Australia aren't any better, but England and Australia aren't in the same position to do the same amount of good. But they need to be better as well. And maybe that is the case of organising to do multiple tours. If you've got a big ticket tour to go or you need to go and play in one day cricket somewhere over in India, why not go and send, even if it is a two-thirds strength test side, to go and play some test cricket against an Ireland or against a Sri Lanka or against, you know, there is there are lots of cricketers in your country. And it might come down to the fact that if you want the game to grow, admittedly you might not be ideal, but if you need to send the big dollar players over to India for your big dollar meaningless one day international five test five game series, and you're like India's like we're gonna pay big dollars, but you better not send us a half ass team, well then send the best next team to make sure that these other guys are still playing cricket. Yeah. It just needs England and England, India, and Australia need to sacrifice to protect the game, and this is this is the week that proves that it is worth sacrificing because it's not just they're roaming around going, oh, look, well, we, this is just what we do in between one dayers and T twenties as we go and stand around the field for five days and get beaten. There are guys out there that care about playing Test cricket and care about winning Test cricket. And the ICC needs to look at this and embrace it and go, like, they need to make Shamar Joseph like the poster child of the next generation of, yeah. of Test cricket. This is a kid that has the world at his feet and he said, I will play Test cricket for less money because yeah. I love it so much. Why don't you? Yeah. And, oh, I... And look, it wasn't just the thing about the West Indies team too. It wasn't just Shamar Joseph, although he's obviously the standout. They had kids basically playing in men's roles. I mean, their middle order had, what, three test matches between them. It was just absurd. And they all showed potential. Yeah. I really like that Kurt McKenzie. Yeah, so do I. If if they can keep him again, it's all going to be the guys that they've showed enough potential or they're going to get snabbled by... Yeah. by franchises, but if they can keep Kirk McKenzie around, could you imagine how good that team would be where you say you have, um, you know, uh, Jason Holder instead of a Greaves, who is a, unobjectionably a better player. He's yeah. a better bowler and he's a better bat. If you have him batting there instead of Greaves, and then, you know, maybe a Kyron Pollard, not a Kyron Pollard, um, um, uh, what's his name, the keeper, the real gun keeper. Oh, Puran. Puran. Nicholas yeah. Puran coming out and being sort of a big hitter at sort of five or six and just... Yeah. Do you, you know, know he's never played test cricket? No. He's yeah. never played test cricket. And he's just got a technique. Do you look at that going, why? There's nothing overly outlandish about it. You just play yeah. cricketing shots and you hit the ball really hard. Like yeah, That's what I actually what I liked about watching these um, young guys coming through for the West Indies. There's nothing... They look solid there's a good basis there for what they're trying to do. And, yeah, inexperience is, is an issue for them at the moment, probably not a lot of first-class cricket. But the, the technical base of all of them look really good. Yeah, and I just, yeah. And to be honest, I think the last couple of years, probably since that, uh, yeah, two, three years, in Australian wickets are offering a lot more with since basically that Indian series where yeah. we lost. Yeah. The, the, the wickets in Australia are consistently offering a lot more across the board. Yeah. Um, I was actually thinking about this on the way over. It's point I wanted to make. Sort of, it used to be back in the day, if you made runs in Australia, you knew you were a good bat. Yeah. And then it got to a period sort of like the end of the 2000s, all of basically all the way through to basically 2020, that 
runs weren't necessarily as difficult to come by. You had to bat well because Australia, the back end of the 2010s, had some very good bowlers. But the conditions there weren't, you know, the bounce was always pretty true. You had plenty of carry. You know, the outfield was really good. Um, You know, as long as you weren't overwhelmed by how fast the ball was coming in and, you you know, you could play a short ball, there's absolutely no gremlins in the wicket, a reason why you can't, dig in and score some runs. It came down to some absolutely brilliant cricket from the Australians to get some of these wickets. Yeah. And in the last couple of years, I think there's been a little more pitch assistance. The the, the Kookaburra has been doing a bit more, um, been doing stuff off. And a lot of that might be the improvement of, you know, three very good fast bowlers. But I just think in general, I mean, Pakistan and the West Indies had that ball talking a lot yeah. as well. You know, England had the ball talking a bit in that last tour. Like, I just think in general it's now become a much harder place to score runs. I mean, you look at the Australians, that that batting lineup didn't fire at all. You had a big knock from Head and Warner. You had a couple of medium knocks from Kawaja and, and, and Smith and, yeah, and, and Marsh. Yeah. But in general, that, that lineup didn't fire. Not as a unit. Not as a unit at no. all. No. Kerry, I can't forget Kerry. Kerry had a great knock as well. No. But you know, as a consistently... There were chinks in that armour, whether that be poor form from the Australians, great bowling or pitch conditions. But the thing is, the opposing teams that were supposedly well down on strength controlled that Australian batting lineup. There was no putting on 550 and then good luck, we're just going to boss the game from here. Even when the other teams were out of the game, their bowlers bowled them back into the game by restricting the Australians to a manageable score. Yeah. Uh, there's no doubt though, over the last few years the wickets in Australia are a lot spicier. There's no doubt about that. And I, I quite frankly, I don't really mind that. I love it. Absolutely I love, it. love it. Because it means that when you watch Travis Head scoring those runs, that or even the David Warner in that first one, or Smith's 90 that he yep. got in, you know, that the, they earned those runs. That, that, you know, full credit to them because you've got to score the runs. But, you know, Adam Voges is sitting there as one of the highest test averages of all time because yeah. he just scored an absolute mountain of runs on some of the flattest wickets that I've ever seen in my entire life in any country. Yeah. And that was here. Yeah. And he just absolutely... That, that wicket at Belrove, I mean, they should have been charging tolls on it. It was that flat. Yeah. That it was, was just absurd. And, and so, and that's the sort of period I was talking about. It was just, there was, yeah. it was less impressive. Oh, yeah. you score runs in Australia? That's amazing. And then sort of the mid-thousands, like, oh, so you scored runs in Australia? Oh, good talk. Nice. Well done. Um, yeah. yeah, super proud of the West Indies. I'm super proud of the fact that they had everyone tell them they were crap. Rodney Hogg was coming out and Wasn't telling them. Wasn't that just the ultimate? They were, they were hopeless and they were pathetic. And I'm just like, what? What? Where do you get off calling them that? At no point in this series were the West Indies anything. Like, okay, their batting was a bit, was a lot pedestrian at times. Yeah. Um, but they were not hopeless or pathetic. They fought and scratched and clawed and nailed and they made sure that right up until the end they weren't out of any of those games and then for the second one they got over the top yeah um um i i really think that there's a big future there now for certainly the west indies i like what i seen from pakistan as well because they were down on numbers you know their first three first string fast bowlers were really weren't there besides shaheen and shah Afridi. i mean harris ralph decided he didn't want to play for whatever reason. Um, the same Shah is injured, um, whatever it happens to be. Um, they look like they have some potential as well. What, I, well. I don't understand why we can't be getting, even if we're organising tournaments 
of test matches. You know, where we bring four of these lesser teams in, we billet them in a, in Australia for a month or wherever for a month and play a tournament of test matches. They've, they've all got other things they need to do. Like, they, as soon as that series finished between Australia and Pakistan, they were over in New Zealand for, for T20. The calendar's not long enough because no. the IPL's getting longer and longer and, and no one schedules any cricket in that time because they don't want to... They don't want to say, well, you can't, you can't play in the IPL because no. they won't accept that. They'll just no. play in the IPL because it's no. worth too much money. No. I do think that like that you can't have those non-exclusion things. There's got to be a point where it's like, okay, so if you're playing in the IPL, then send your next best. Um, you know, and there we players like a Mitchell Stark, like a Pat Cummins, like a Steve Smith. I'm sure people like Ben Stokes and. You know, players like that, Shemar Joseph said it himself. Like, there'll be players that go, oh, all right, cool, I know. Well, I made my, I played half the games, made a fair bit of coin. I'm going to go, I'll play test cricket. And if you're good enough, if you're a Pat Cummins, you're not worried about them not picking you again for, or a Mitchell Stark or anyone like, you know, a Mitchell Stark hasn't played in the IPL. He said, no, get stuff to the IPL for years, for nearly a decade. What the ramifications were for turning his nose or turning his back on the IPL? Only the only the biggest payday in history. So all these like, oh, if you if you, you know you turn your back on the IPL, you might not get another gig. If you're good enough, you do. You do. Yeah. They're not that petty. No. Um, and so they're know, businessmen, mate. They're businessmen. They yeah. producing a product and they want the best of products. Yeah. So. And if you have got a Kigizo Rabada, who's um, obviously a big ticket item in South Africa, look like we really need you to come. Um, you can you skip the IPL? And I was like, oh, well, look, I'll miss the, I'll, I'll come like at the last minute and I'll play all these IPL games. And then if he goes, oh, you can't leave, and he's like, well, I am. He's going to be back next IPL. Just, you know, if, he, if his team goes, well, you're out, you can't play. The next team will pick him up for a squillion dollars. Like, yeah, it's it's always going to be that way for the elite players. It will always be that way for the elite players. And the way to become an elite player is to become a wonderful Test cricketer. Yeah. All right, before we finish, I think we've, we've waxed lyrical on the um, where the game could go from here and just what a phenomenal performance the West Indies had and how they fought and gripped. But I think we need to talk about the Australians because, as I said, wasn't a fantastic summer for our batting unit. What are we? What thoughts have we got on the Australians moving forward from here? There's a, there's a, a there seems to be a bit of an element of fragility in the in the batting order at the moment and. I'm not sure what it is, whether we've just got guys who aren't meshing all at the same time or whatever it happens to be. Um, I see there's been a lot of criticism about the Cameron Green experiment. It's not an experiment. He's staying there at number four and he's going to be a great player. Okay, get over it, folks, because that's what that's what's been laid out here. Steve Smith. I thought he looked really good in that fourth yeah, innings. He I copped a too. really unlucky one that bounced back onto his stumps, but yeah. I thought he was easily... The, the the best outside of Steve Smith in that yeah, innings. He, um, he looked really good. He looks really solid. Um, and what we really need to do is get out of his head and let the guy go and play some cricket. I've got big concerns on Marnus. Marnus has seemed to have developed a very, very nasty little technical habit that's getting him in all sorts of trouble, man. His eyes aren't lining up with the ball. Um, you he, can see that in the slow-mos. He, he's obviously, you know... Everyone goes through dips and lulls, but this is one of the worst summers by an Australian batsman in history. For a while, yeah. For a long, long while. Um, and look, there is an argument, and I don't necessarily believe this argument, I'm going to throw it out there anyway. Marnus was never a good domestic cricketer. 
and he's had a real strong, what, three, four, five years? Yeah. Um, maybe team. Yeah. Is this the ceiling? Have we seen have the we best seen of Pete Marnus? Marnus? And yeah. he's now thirty. You know, the, people have worked him out a little bit. Is it now? You know, there's. Does he have the skills to get like you know? It's not like he came off the back of like Mike Parsi scoring ten thousand first class runs. He he was a punt. Yes. And the punt ended up working out. And you know, was this just a purple patch where no one knew what he was like? And then I don't think that's the case. I think he is classy. I think he's proven time and again that he is like even in the World Cup that he played some beginnings. I think this is just a down period. But you know, at twenty nine, nearly thirty. Is are we persisting with Marnus until we can't anymore, or is there an opportunity that maybe Marnus needs to go back and you know maybe this is where we go? All right, we've got three thousand people we can pick for the one day side. Maybe we send Marnus back to go and play some Shield, get him ready for the next trip to oh, New Zealand. I, I think that I definitely send Marnus back to Shield. I really do. I, I think he really needs to be getting in the nets and having a good hard look at where he's. Well, he's currently in the one day international side. Yeah, well. I don't know what sort of remedial work and everything they do while they're in these camps. He has an issue with how his eyes are lining up in relation to the ball. It's just, it's just literally that simple. You can pull, It's not that hard to pull a technique at Block Marnus's apart because it all works in very, very structured, staged ways. You look at Pete Marnus, when he's making contact with the ball, his eyes are literally right over the top of the ball. At the moment, he's probably, I reckon his alignment's out by about two or three centimetres. And that two or three centimetres is the difference between you middling the ball and nicking, you, it. and nicking it. And that is, and it's a hard thing. I mean, it may be something that's crept in over a period of time and he may not even be aware of it. But I've been looking at that for about a year now with Marnus, particularly yeah. when the ball's quick. There's been a, yeah, well, I think, well, I think we, we really picked that up in that uh, the Asher series over here where he got found out quite a lot by um, Mark Wood. By Mark Wood. And I think the other thing with Marnus as well, like the beginning of his career, he had to have been the luckiest cricketer ever born. Oh, yes. Yeah, the amount of times he got dropped, and yeah. I think maybe we just we got a really good purple patch of form from Marnus. He had a bit of luck going his way. Now that it's a combination of getting a little older, teams are used to him, he's going through a bit of a dip, the luck's run out. And I don't think Marnus was ever destined to be a guy that averages mid to high 50s. I, I see Marnus definitely somewhere in that 45 to 50 sort of guy. Yeah. Um, and I just think that's it's just cricket is it's it's leveling out. It's yeah. getting Marnus to, to the mean of where he's going to be. It's going to be like it's it, like let's beat around the bush. He's been bad. He needs to, to figure it out. Whether that be getting out there and playing some one day cricket or getting there some more red ball reps yeah. under his belt, but. Um, the concerning thing as well is that he's getting out the same way all the time. Yeah. He's nicking off. Uh, Smith. Smith opening the batting. What do you think about Smith opening the batting? Um, I'm always going to be torn about this because I'm probably not on the level of man crush that you have for Steve Smith. Um, probably not far away, though. <laughs> uh, yeah, look, I thought it was a... It was, it was a pretty good innings the other day. I just felt there was something missing. There's something missing with him opening the batting. I'm not sure what it is. Like I, it just I'm not whether, I, whether it's just a personal feeling that it just doesn't feel right for me to have him doing it or whatever it happens to be. He looked a lot better technically in that 91. He sure did. His feet were moving well. And he's always going to have those, that Marnus type issue as well as that he needs to make sure his eyes are in line. 
his eyes, then the hands follow. His footwork, we don't really care about his footwork, but with Steve Smith, it's about the eyes and about the hands. Um, I he think looked, with Smith, Smith copped a couple of really good balls that he played really poorly, like yeah. that LW one that he got in. Yeah, the, that was poor. That was It was a good ball, but he overplayed his hand. Yeah. And I think... Well, if you're playing that in an orthodox way, that's a, a standard forward defensive shot. Mm. But I think Smith has been like Smith has been a lot more assertive. Like he, he played a couple of really nice hook and pulls to get off the mark early. He's driven really well through the covers. Yeah. Played a couple of nice on drives, and then would just I think just getting out, just trying to be a little too pushy. Yeah. And I think that's sort of your like I don't know if it's been like you're replacing David Warner. So like we'd like you to get out. Aussie's going to sit there and drop anchor because that's what Aussie does. We don't need you to be Dave but we do need you to be a little more proactive. proactive than what Smudge has been at four. And I think maybe he's taken that to heart and maybe looking to be, all right, well, if Uzi's going to sit here and weather the storm, I'm going to just, I'm just going to maybe treating it like a one-day innings and a little bit and just overplaying his hand. I, I'm not fussed. I, I think that after the loss, there was this big thing about, oh, Australia didn't respect the West Indies and we toyed around with the lineups too much. No, we didn't. I, I think that overall... Yeah, there's an obviously the, the big argument being Bancroft, but it then comes down to what do we rate more, Green versus Bancroft? And arguably, I think it's probably 49, 51. You can make the argument that you play Bancroft and you let Green go and develop and shield and come back into a middle-order spot when there's a middle-order spot ready for him. But that being said, you know, is Green in the top six bats of this country? We're looking at his shield form. He's no, like... He's no lower than seven or eight. Like, there wouldn't be seven better bats than, than Cameron Green. And they've gone with the fact that in the last test, Marnus Labuschagne was the youngest player in that Australian side at 29 and 200 and something days. Huh. So they went with the guy that is good enough to play test cricket, who's 24, yeah. as opposed to the guy that might be good enough to play test cricket, and who's 32. 30. Yeah. As well as as much as I was on the bandwagon, that I definitely think that Bancroft deserves a crack, and I'm still not convinced that he still didn't. I don't think we got it that wrong picking Cam Green. I just think we, unfortunately, we didn't play well enough, and the Windies did, which is what our batting unit fired. I liked what I saw from Smith. I liked he was being assertive. I think that he was trying to make his mark on there, make the position his own, and maybe overplayed his hand for a couple of balls that he probably should have respected a little more early in the innings. But you could see once he got into, you know, 2030 in that 91, even with Shemar Joseph, he wasn't fussed by Shemar Joseph. He was just batting, his, doing his thing. I don't think we're going to have too many dramas with Steve Smith. I just think maybe it's my, all right, just pump the brakes a little. You're not Dave. You, you know, it's a test game. We don't need you going at 70 strike rate. You can afford to work your way into a little bit. Obviously not chewing up so much strike, but we also don't need you throwing the bat. You know, just find that happen. And then that'll come. He'll get that with more reps opening the batting. As you said with Cam Green, I'm not fussed with Green. I, I'm I'm happy to bet the house on that Green will end up being good enough to bat in the top order for oh, Australia. Wow. The, the other thing that I was a little concerned about and a little annoyed, and I suppose it's hard to be too annoyed because it's worked um, for them for, what, the last 18 months is I thought that some of Mitch Marsh's dismissals were a little reckless. Yeah. And that's not, you know, it's not his fault we were four down for stuff all, but when you're four down for stuff all, do you need to be throwing the hook shot at literally everything and then getting five down for stuff all? 
look, Travis this, said, this Travis said, him, yeah, this is what we brought him in. Let's be honest. Yeah, and that's it. It's not like a get him out of the side. It was just a little bit of okay, like I get it. This is what you do, but maybe again, not that time. again, maybe with the same that Basball criticism. Maybe yeah. go through the gears. Yeah, okay, you want to hit everything for four, but we're we're four for was it? We were four for eighty at that yeah. point, maybe four for seventy. Four or for seventy, like and then he you know bowls him a bouncer, hits it for four. All right, you've already got like I think he already had six off that over. He didn't. He hit a two off his legs. He hit another, a pull shot for four, and they bounced him again. He's already got six off the over. We're yeah. four for 70. Just duck that one. I do think he is a bit of a compulsive hooker, though. Yeah, and that's fine. And it's it, it's just it, it's a minor criticism. It's not a, you cost us the game, Mitch no. Marsh. But Nobody cost us the game. Shamar Joseph took the game from us. That's what happened at the end of the day. I mean, we, we did everything. Yeah, they were proper. Well, no, it was the... Down the leg side was the first innings, wasn't it? So all of Shemar Joseph's, you'd say, were genuine dismissals. He, it wasn't like someone did something proper dumb to get no, out. He just, he got, just got he, them out. He just got them out. Yeah. Um, like he, Marsh's dismissal in the second innings, that was a great ball that he had to play at that bounced a bit more, took an edge, went to slips. Like yeah. it was just yeah that one where he's gone for the other pull shot and it was just got too high on the bat and he spooned it up to Kemar Roach. And I'm just like in that position, that is such a bad shot. And, like, I get it. That's what we got you in for. You've made your mark in this side by going, if I'm see ball, hit ball. But I just I think that it's a it's an easy cop-out to have, especially when you've got Travis Head, who's in the exact same boat, when you could, you know, five and six could put on 200 runs in the blink of an eye or get out for 40 playing dumb shots. I think it's an easy cop-out to go, oh, that's the way I play. Yeah. There, there does need to be a little bit of, you know, responsibility and at four for under a hundred maybe there's a, yeah. a you know when the ball's doing a bit there's a bit of more responsibility put on and picking those shots like yeah. the ones that are well wide of off stump you know full length <laughs> drive all of that drive that through the covers all day all day um but yeah short balls the only way you get out to short balls are the way that you got out to the short you ball. Get out to the short balls by miss hitting them. Yeah. Um, so just yeah, and that was that was all. I just think yeah, there's a I think maybe just a, a smidge of arrogance came through yeah. the Australians, especially with Head and yeah. and Marsh. That it's just that this they is how are. You play. They, the thing is, but you, they are in red hot form. Oh and yeah, it's probably, and look, and it's probably go, hard to, to to pull it back in the gears. We could go to the New Zealand next. Well, the end of next month. And Head and Marsh could both put on a partnership of two hundred and fifty yeah. to, to playing exactly the same way. Yeah, so exactly. I'm not I'm not saying they need to change or get out, but I'm just you know be grown ups about it. Maybe just just have that little extra gear, have that sort of all right. No, it's not even a it's not even a should I or shouldn't I? Maybe just go. I've got what I need out of this over, and it's not even a don't second guess yourself. Go, I could hook that, but I'm not going to. As opposed to should I or shouldn't I? Just make a conscious decision that when you're in that much of a hole, nah, look, risk versus reward, let's just let's just go. I got six off this one. Let's get through the over. You know, he'll be coming towards the end of his spell soon, um, you know, and just work at it, Bill, get to the next 10, get to the next 10, as opposed to having that, oh, should I play a hook shot when we're four down? Just, just have that confidence in yourself going, I've got enough runs off this over for now. Let's just live to fight another day. Leave to fight, and then when you're sitting there going, right, we're now gone from four for eighty to four for one eighty. 
and you're like, all right, that's a much better landing plaid now. I could, you know, I'm good now. I'm on 60, 70 myself. The bowlers are tired. Now I can throw the bat at everything. Like not Just having that sort of awareness around the situations, not so much second-guessing what you should and shouldn't do, being confident enough to go, I could hit this for four, but to play it safe, I'm just going to duck it. Yeah, well, lessons learned, mate, hopefully. But we'll see. We've got, no, what have we got, two tests in New Zealand? I think so. I think it's another two test series. Um, That's another thing that we miss out on a lot. We should be looking to cultivate a massive. uh, We missed. We missed the golden generation of New Zealand cricket, where they actually could have stood up and beaten us properly. And in that whole period with the the Southie Bolt, um, Williamson like era, Ross Taylor, all those guys. Yeah, two tours. Yeah. Anyway. We can get, we can be standing we could be sitting here discussing scheduling and for all night. I just think that basically we've made the point. This is over to you, ICC. Test cricket has shown you what it's about. It's time for you to respond and say, "Hey, yes, we're going to look after you. We're going to do the. We're going to make decisions that are actually in the best interests of Test." Cricket, because Test cricket is the pinnacle of our game. All right, I'm going to surprise you. I wasn't planning on doing this, but um, the results came in early enough for me to do it. So uh, I'm going to rattle through the um, Allen Border Medal results. Woo-hoo! So uh, I'm going to start from the bottom. The here we go. The WBBL Player of the Tournament, Shamari. Adapadu, Sydney. Ah, uh, the Sri Lankan, yeah. BBL player of the tournament, Matt Short. Yeah, no arguments there. Eh? Betty Wilson, Young Cricketer of the Year, Emma DeBro. Bradman, Young Cricketer of the Year, Fergus O'Neill. Mm-hmm. Having a, a, a real strong season for Victoria yeah, this year. A couple of first-class hats. Oh, Ma- no, he's a bowler, isn't he? He's a bowler, yeah. He's a bowler. Right. And he can bat too. Men's Domestic Player of the Year. Any guesses? Cameron Bancroft. Cameron Bancroft. <laughs> Women's Domestic Players of the Year. Oh, players. Elise Villani and Sophie Day. Uh-huh. Men's T20 Player of the Year. Which one? Jason Berendorf. Oh, nice one for the bowlers. Better get over. He better get over to the World Cup. Uh, better get over the World Cup. Yeah, he, he Men's should. ODI Player of the Year. Please don't tell me it's David Warner. It's Mitchell Marsh. Ooh, okay. Women's ODI Player of the Year. Oh, um, Ash Gardner. Elise Perry. Okay, no argument there. Women's T20 Player of the Year. Ash Gardner. Elise Perry. <laughs> Considering it's her weakest format, bang, take that. We had a. Um, Shane Warne's men's test player of the year. Was he? Nathan Lyon. Ooh. And considering he missed the Ashes as well. That's huge. Well done, Garrett. The Belinda Clark Award, female cricketer of the year. You're on fire. Come on. Don't stop now. Yeah, Ash Gardner. Ash Gardner. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've gone, I've gone twice. I can't be wrong three times, can I? She has to win something. Alan Border Medal. 
Um, was he? Mitchell Marsh. No, really? Mitchell Marsh coming in, replacing Cameron Green in the Ashes and has won the Allen Border Medal. No, wow. Um, and by the length of the straight, really? 223 votes for Mitchell Marsh. Pat Cummins, who I thought would be the Allen Border medalist, was uh, 144. We know the Allen Border medal is obviously all three all formats. Three much, yeah. So, um, yeah, and, and so Mitch Marsh obviously missed a f- uh, stack of games through uh, the, the test series, but has had an excellent white ball year. Yes. Well done to Mitch Marsh. Uh, look, this is going to be the final point before we wrap up. Like, he has been much maligned. I myself have torn shreds off him mm. um, for, for his lack of, you know, his lack of execution, his lack of consistency. And, and I've said it, I don't think I've, I've said it on the air or not, or if I've said it just in passing to some friends. I cannot think of another sports person in any other sport that has had a prolonged run and, you know, was, was bad. Man, was okay. He was he was average in the one day in T twenty formats, but he was a bad test cricketer. Has a year and a half off, comes back, and is at the peak of the game in three formats. Like he is one of the best white ball cricketers in the world, and he is definitely a devastating red ball cricketer. And I have not seen in any sport. It's amazing and turnaround. Like, like I have seen promising players get start to get it right. Like Usman Khawaja. Usman Khawaja has shown that he, in his younger days, that he could be that guy. We never got to see it up until very recently. Mitchell Marsh, with the occasion of beating up on, like, there were in three innings, 200s against a well-beaten England side and a fighting 90 against South Africa in the first test over there. And outside of that, his test career, there is nothing to show for it. Until and then he's come out and he's just whatever it is in that 18 months he's had off from that winter tour to the West Indies for the one-dayers, something has clicked, whatever he's figured out, whatever he's felt comfortable himself, whatever words of wisdom he was given, it is the most astonishing turnaround. I've, I've never seen a player that has had a prolonged run of mediocrity where there was just nothing to show for the investment that you put in there. To just come back at the, in their early 30s and just absolutely kill it. Congratulations, Mitch Marsh. Like, I know it would have been absolutely devastating being booed in a Boxing Day test to coming back to the winning the Allen Border medal, and, and deservedly so. So, uh, well done. It's, it's a phenomenal turnaround. You're doing exactly what everyone wants. You're just coming out. You're playing good cricket. When you have a bad day, there's not too many of them before you have a good day. No. And that's all you want from your cricketers. You just want your cricketers to bounce back from yeah. bad days. And before before the break, there were just bad days. Yeah. And now it's good day, good day, good day. Oh, a bad day. But you know that the, you know the guy you know the marshes, good day is coming back. Yeah, you know there's going to be a good day around the corner. And um, His level of consistency is probably the big thing, I think, is that he's now reached a level of consistency of performance. And it's not only that, it's consistency, but it is also execution. Like, if he was, like, even in the one day before he was dropped, he was averaging mid-30s with the bat, which is not bad. Um, He was an okay-ish option with the ball, a guy that you wouldn't wouldn't expect to bowl 10 overs, but, you know, on his day he could, but on others you'd give him three or four or five, might jam you a wicket or two. You weren't upset with his production in one days, but he was never elite. 
he, if we got that sort of production out of Mitch Marsh when he came back, he'd be okay with that, just consistently getting you what you need. But he hasn't just done that. He has elevated himself to being one of the premier talents in the world and doing it consistently. It is the most astonishing turnaround I have ever seen. I have not seen a single sportsman that I could, that comes to mind that has had just such a prolonged run of ineptitude. Have a break, come back, and go from barely making the grade to being the best in the world. Yeah. I'm not saying, you know, I'm paraphrasing, but yeah. you get what I mean. Um, so well done, uh I couldn't think of a bloke that deserves the award anymore from what he has shown for Australian cricket. After, like, it wouldn't have been, it would not have been easy to be Mitch Marsh over the last few years because everyone wanted wanted their pound of flesh, including us. So, yeah. um, and congratulations, congratulations, Mitch. mate! Congratulations to all the winners there at the Allen Border Medal tonight. Um, and that will do us for this evening. Well, there's plenty more cricket to talk about. There's a one day series coming up. We'll see if the uh, the Windies can. Uh, Continue their run of strong form. They did beat the Poms. Yeah. Um, so I'm actually looking forward to just seeing these guys getting out there and com- competing again because they come, to, they have come to this country with a love to play cricket. Yeah, they have. You can see it in them. They're well led by Craig Brathwaite. Um, yeah, look, I really, I'm just looking forward to seeing some more entertaining cricket from these guys. All right, guys. Until next time, enjoy your week. Uh, we'll be back with plenty more cricket news. Bye for now. Over. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.